we've seen that uh, when the Lord Jesus instructed the church in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, to walk the narrow way, the narrow road, to follow the narrow street, the narrow path, he essentially celebrated the separation of the church from the moral decay of the world and its idol religions. In that act, he literally separated the church and exalted her, one institution that worships the true and one and only living God of Israel, and this, he said, in that narrative, when he submitted this thesis on walking the narrow way, he essentially deposited a treasure into Christian salvation. This became the big celebratory, the celebratable treasure that the church can hold on to and bring distinction, make an edge between the church and the world out there. And so this is such a time in the history of the church that surely the church ought to realize this position, the walking of the narrow way, the walking of the narrow street, because this is the hour at which all the loose ends on the preparation for the glorious coming of the Messiah are taking place. And we saw very clearly that the Lord was speaking about the inherent deposit on separation in his ministry, that his ministry was all about separation, that he came to the earth to separate the church from the rest, from the wickedness, the evil, and the sin. And we saw that that's very consistent with this decree when he submitted the thesis on the walking of the narrow way. And uh, we also see very clearly that it is consistent with the holy nature, the separated nature of Jehovah God, to whom he had come to purchase us. He had come to purchase us to Jehovah, the God of heaven. And so that was very consistent. And we saw in Matthew 25 that the definition of that walking the narrow way is essentially pursuing a life of righteousness, a righteous lifestyle. Because then he addresses them by their true identity. They have done this, they have done this, they have done that, they have added this. They went to jail and saw the prisoners. They went to the hospital, saw the sick, they fed the hungry. They also gave some drink to the lonely, the thirsty. They opened the door to the homeless. They did A, B, C, D. They did this, did this, and did that. But at the end, then he describes them. He describes them by their true name. He says, come to me, ye the righteous. So it essentially defined the coordinates of righteousness, the righteous walk the dimensions of the righteous walk, a righteous lifestyle, a righteous life, a righteous salvation. He essentially announced and pointed the church towards the way of righteousness, the highway of righteousness. And I say that there is no better time in the history of the church to discuss this than now when the Christians keep saying, oh, you see, uh, the enemy attacked, you know, they are fond of that. They are full of this. The enemy attacked my marriage. They attacked my finances. They attacked my health. They attacked my children. They attacked my everything. But he's saying, during this last watch, that is the time also when the Lord, he knows that the attack will take place, but he will look down and then he will strike the enemies of the church, the enemies of salvation. Why? Because he wants his greatness to be expressed among the enemies of the church, the enemies of God. 
when the ark of the covenant of the Lord was kidnapped, was hijacked, was taken away to Ashdod, the Lord allowed the people in Ashdod to do so because he wanted his power and his greatness also to be expressed, to be felt, to be realized, to be known by the enemies of Israel. But that's the same thing we see here now. I'm not talking about the earth going away. I'm just talking about the fact that the Lord Almighty wants his greatness because he is great. All the nations will know he is great. They will exalt his great name. He wanted every single nation of the earth, every person on the earth, to realize that he is the great king, the great God of Israel, the great God of the church, the God of our Lord Jesus, and he is great, he is sovereign. And so, advancing separation, I need to finish separation so that I may mention a few areas of interest as I move now to the blueprint of salvation and how all that was tailored towards this narrow walk. When the Lord designed the blueprint for Christian salvation, I'm talking about the salvation that enters eternity, it was all geared and deliberately positioned to direct the receivers, the beholders of that salvation, to walk the narrow way. So we're going to look at some tremendous things here today. But before we do that, in finishing with separation, which is a lot here, is a bigger scripture, is a bigger text, is a bigger conversation, is a bigger deliberation here today, discussion. John chapter 17, verse 16, in winding down separation, John chapter 17, verse 16, he still celebrates the separation that the narrow way commanded. Separation from who? From the moral decay of this world. John 17, 16, beloved people, he says, okay, I can start from 15. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, meaning they are supposed to testify there, to be the light of Christ there. So don't take them from the world right now. They are supposed to evangelize. Again, 15. John chapter 17, verse 15, he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them unto the world, into the world, verse 19. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. A very powerful, beautiful scripture here from our Lord Jesus. This is what I call a beauty, a true beauty, this scripture here. Because he's talking about the separation that he pronounced upon the church when he asked the church to walk the narrow way, the narrow street, to pursue the salvation of the narrow way, the salvation of the narrow street. And he's saying that very much aware of what was happening in the world and what would be happening in the world today. Again, very much aware of what was happening in the world then and what would happen in the world today and how that would impact, how that would have a serious impact on the church that he had come to deliver, the church that he had come to purchase for his God, his Father, and our God, our Father, in heaven, my friend, my sender, Jehovah Elohim, the one that sent me to prepare the way for the glorious Jesus, the King of glory, very much aware of what the world beheld then and would behold now, the wickedness, the evil, the external souls from the world, he then made this prayer. The first part of the prayer, which I've read, is a longer one. He said, please, my prayer is that you don't take them out of the world, 
but that you protect them, protect them from the evil one in the world, because he knew his schemes would be so big that it would have an impact on the church. And the absence of the vivid experience section of God could easily steal the salvation, the hard-won salvation he delivered, he brought unto the church. And so he was praying that the church may not be taken away from the world, but kept in the world to testify, to be the light of that darkness, that wickedness, and that evil that would consume the world at that hour. And so that's why he said, don't take them away. Keep them there that they may evangelize Jesus, that they may pronounce to the world, they may trumpet to the nation that I have gone to the cross, that behold, now there is new hope. But behold, for whosoever believeth in me shall not perish but have eternal life. So they have a role. They have a duty. They are duty-bound on earth to do the duty to evangelize Christ crucified and resurrected. And so he's talking about their separation because he knew that the world could easily impact their salvation and dissuade them and ensnare them to follow their large road, the wide road. And yet here he was talking about the salvation of the narrow street, the salvation of the narrow path, the narrow road, the narrow way, the narrow walk. Verse 16, he says, they are not of the world. So again, it brings you back to the pronouncement he made when he submitted his thesis that the church ought to walk the narrow way in order to enter the small, the narrow gate. And that is the gate that leads to eternity in heaven. He was absolutely very serious on his mission to deliver unto heaven the product of his mission. And that's why the command to walk the narrow way. Again, there is no better place than this, this beautiful scripture, where now the Lord, he talks about separating the church. He prays that the Father does separate the church that when she is separated, she may now be sent into the world. But there is a tragedy, beloved people, the church that fails to observe the rule, to observe the submission and pronouncement that you see in Matthew chapter 7, 13, 14, walking the narrow way. When that church goes to the world in her failure to separate, to observe separation, on the narrow way, then that church, instead of converting the world into her ways, into the ways of the Lord, that is the church you see today, that instead when she went out to evangelize Jesus, instead it is the world that converted her to the world. That's why you see the dressing of the world is inside her. The immorality of the world is in that church. The apostasy of the world is in that church. The abortions of the world are in that church. The homosexuality of the world is in that church. The world instead converted her. Why? Because the Lord laid here very clearly the power to evangelism. And he said that power is walking the narrow way. It is separation. It is the separation that walking the narrow way trumpets, announces, pronounces. This is yet another beautiful scripture here, beloved people. And he says that the key to sanctification, the key to a believer being sanctified, is the walking of the narrow way. The narrow way is separation. The narrow way is sanctification in the process, in the final analysis. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 we can read on and on separation, beloved people. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. The separation that walking the narrow way submits to the church, pronounces the church, announces to the present-day believer, the Christian of this day. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, beloved people. This is what he says. He says, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. 
do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That is all the Lord was talking about. He was saying that there is no way he can go to the cross and pay the ultimate price, bring it to the church, and then permit her to walk the ensnaring way, the ensnaring way, this trap, the entrapment of the devil, to walk that way where the devil will trap her left and right, she will begin to do the world, the way you see in the other churches, the church in the United States, the church in the Western world, the church in the Eastern Europe, the church in the Eastern world, the church all over the world. This ensnaring you see, whereby the church has been trapped. She has fallen into the ditch. So she's walking in the same river. She's muddying herself in the same river with the world. And that's why knowing that bad company corrupts good character, bad company can mislead, then he announced. He announced that the only way to walk the salvation of the cross and the blood he broke. The one and only way to walk it is by the separation that the narrow way achieves in the life of the Christian believer. That when the Christian believer now walks the narrow way, that is we have seen, that is the empowerment to evangelize the dark world without the world converting you to their ways and practices. And also, that is the power to maintain your purity and sanctification. Do not be misled, 1 Corinthians 15:33. Do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character, meaning you can be born again, good intention, you want to be righteous, but the company you adopt with the world will corrupt your Christianity. And so now we understand why the church we see out all over the world on Christian television, the corrupt church we see, why their behavior is that way, why the women wear such that you see their anatomy and you wonder, this lady called a pastor on this global Christian TV. Tell me, did she ever receive the Holy Spirit to let her know that that dressing Leave alone her salvation to begin with. But that dressing humiliates Jesus. Humiliates the salvation that we received from the Calvary cross and the blood that poured. Wouldn't she know that that is the dressing of the world? What was she up to when she dresses that way? Why? Because they never endeavored. They never put any effort onto obeying the words of Jesus. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't obey my words? You don't obey my sayings. My sayings have it that enter through the narrow gate and walk the salvation of the narrow way, the salvation of the narrow street, the narrow road, the path. He said, that is the salvation I brought. I did not bring another salvation. So now you see that the other church that did not endeavor to pursue this thesis of the narrow way, this doctrine of the narrow way. Then they went out, and verse 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So they have been corrupted, and the devil is having a field day. Because when they dress like that, the women dress that way, the men laugh at them, then the next thing, you can almost draw the cascade down the tomb. The next thing you hear sexual immorality with a pastor, with an elder, with a member of a church. The next thing you hear is abortion. The next thing you hear is HIV infections also in the church. The next thing you hear homosexuality is in. You can almost plot it out, their trajectory down the tomb and down the hell. Down the devil's hell. You don't need to be a genius to know where they are headed with that. You only need to be born again and then you understand, oh... So that is the church that has been misled because bad company has corrupted her good salvation, her good character. 
And that's why the Lord is emphasizing on separation. As I finish this statement on separation, I want to make my last deposition with First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, beloved people, that we may be of understanding, that we may be in the know on the requirements of salvation. And then I'll explain to you very briefly as to why the Lord lays all this to the church. First Peter chapter 2, beloved people, verse 11. And this is what he says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. How powerful. There is no other scripture again that can be a caution to the present day church than this one. This is a big thing that the Lord is saying here. And he's saying that surely, surely the wickedness that the devil is playing around with in the church. This wickedness you see that the Christians are being is being sold to them, they are buying into it, they dress like what? They sing like what, dance like what, look like what, live like what, drink a little wine here, have Friday parties here. Oh, yes, some young men from which church kicks a girl in the church bonding or get together what. These sick things, this sickness, this sin that you see the church playing around with, he's saying the devil is at work. He is serious and busy. Those sinful desires, those sinful affections of the flesh that the church has not shut down with a strong holy word, that has not shut down with the righteous word, with the word that has power to deliver us, these affections, the sinful affections, the sinful desires of the flesh that the church has essentially nurtured, he's saying it is essentially the devil that is waging a serious war against your soul. And that is what the Lord Jesus saw. He saw that if the church were not separated into the narrow way, the narrow road, she would be lied to through the bad company, and then eventually her good salvation would be corrupted. Because the devil is very much at work. The devil knows that which brings you to heaven. It is called holiness. That's why in his endeavors, in his scheme, in his plan, in his design, it is all meant to achieve one thing, to download holiness from your life, to remove it from your Christianity, such that your Christianity is vanity. And that is the best place the devil wants you to be at. Why? Because then you are in a place where you are immune to the gospel, and you are in some kind of illusion and delusion, also deluded, to think you are going to heaven without holiness. Then in that comfort, you end up in hell. One day you'll be shocked. The rapture happens and you're out. The church is taken, you have remained. So the church needs to be awake to this. The church needs to be alive to this. We need to keep rekindling her memory onto these things that Jesus asserted as the main benchmarks of Christianity. He said, walking the narrow way, enter through the narrow gate. Eh? For broad and wide is the gate and road that leads to hell, to eternal damnation, to destruction. But small and narrow is the road that leads to the Father in heaven, to the kingdom of glory, to eternal life. And so there is so much more, beloved people, I would have wanted, I may have wanted to proceed with separation, which this walking the narrow way announces. But I really want to proceed because we have a long thesis today. We have a long presentation here, beloved. It's a long, long, long submission. Because one of the things that I want now to introduce here is the message. There is another message. It's kind of a hidden. It's not very much hidden, but I need to bring it out that the Lord projected to the church. He beamed it to the Christian believer. He beamed it to the body of Christ. He gave it as a beam of light. When he said, 
pursue the salvation of the narrow road, the salvation of the narrow way. What really did the Lord mean? By asking the church to walk the narrow way, the Lord meant that the Lord God Almighty in heaven, the one who designed our Christian salvation, he also designed for some serious requirements for entry into his eternal kingdom. He also placed forth some very important messaging, information system that he wanted to bring to the church, that as she walks salvation, she may be in the know, she may be aware of the mind of God toward Christian salvation. What a better place. Is there any other better place from which to find the real intent and design of Christian salvation other than from God the Father, the Redeemer that sent the Messiah? He said there are certain requirements. By saying, please walk the narrow road, however difficult. We're going to look at some of the challenges on the narrow road. And we already said that the ultimate prize, the ultimate achievement, the ultimate reward, recompense, recompense in Spanish, is far much greater, outweighs whatever small challenges you may encounter in the short run on the temporary basis on the narrow road. And we saw that those challenges on the narrow road, nevertheless, you are not even going to overcome them yourself. There is a facilitation through the wonderful encounter with God himself, protecting you, defending you, and providing manna from heaven, providing for you also, leading you. What a beautiful, awesome place to be, where God himself is leading you. He's speaking to you. He's showing you which way to follow, navigating you, beloved. So, essentially, when the Lord Jesus commanded the church to walk the narrow road, he principally meant the following, that God in heaven who designed our salvation, he laid forth also certain requirements for entry into his eternal kingdom in heaven. Number one, he meant that the Christian walk would be a walk of faith. We know that the narrow way, as we are going to see very briefly ahead of me here, requires walking in absolute faith. It is a walk of faith. Because sometimes the things you see, and all the time, by the way, what you see may not be the manifestation in your physical realm of comfort. That's why he says the majority, they choose against it. They choose the wider road, the broad way, the broad road, the broad path, the road with the six lanes. That's what they choose. Why? Because of some things there that require walking with faith, that deliberately positioned by the Lord to mold us, to shape us, to tune you, to refine you and fine-tune you, to adjust you, to be able to depend on the Lord. He loves it that way. He loves it when you are total. In your total, you are totally dependent on Him. So, when he commanded and he submitted this wonderful thesis that we should walk, that the salvation he brought is the salvation of the narrow road. Walking the other road is not the salvation he brought. Then he essentially meant that God, the Father in heaven, the designer and creator of the blueprint of our salvation, which I'm going to revisit very shortly, he placed for certain requirements for entry into heaven, his glorious eternal kingdom. And one of them is that whosoever would enter heaven would have to walk this narrow way. And walking this narrow way requires, has a prerequisite, a requirement that you really be very faithful to the Lord. Only faith now. It requires walking by faith. Because some of what you see, you might see that not many people are walking there, so it's not popular. So really, you are choosing it will be against the will of this world, the peer pressures of this world. They want to look normal. There is the syndrome of, I just want to look normal. I don't want to look strange. The pressures of so-called, in quotes, look normal. 
You have to work against them, and that requires a lot of faith. That requires believing God. You squarely have to believe God that our head is good. It is going to end well. The other one is obvious. Everybody sees it. But this one is not obvious. It is hidden. They have to look for it. Maybe it's not very clear. Maybe they are shrubs, left and right, that try to cover it. By design, it's covered. So that only to they that seek it shall it be revealed. Hey, I'm talking about a hidden salvation. How powerful, beloved people. Number two, within this messaging system, the information system that the Lord placed in this command, in this command to walk the narrow way, walk by faith. Number two, he meant that we should then walk, when we walk that way, in complete and absolute obedience to God. Walking the narrow way essentially defines a total obedience, total obedience unto God, walking the way of God, walking the sayings of God, walking the word of God, essentially leaving the instruction of God, walking in complete and absolute obedience to God. Because there then shall you then have the visitation of God. The Lord will not visit people who are in heedlessness and disobedience. Those who are disobedient are walking the larger way. In any case, entering the larger way is in itself disobedience to this thesis, the wonderful thesis that laid forth the doctrine of the narrow way. Number three, by asking the church to walk the narrow path in the doctrine of the narrow way, the Lord essentially meant the following. He intended to underscore some very important pillars, important facets of Christian salvation, how he designed it. And it's so powerful in this day and age to know how the Lord designed Christian salvation. And I think, and I strongly believe, and I know it is true, that the failure to understand these basics of the design and the intent of the Christian salvation right from the beginning beginning of one being born again is the reason there is apostasy. Because in the first place, you didn't even understand the design and purpose. The Lord intended to bring the following critical information to the church. That in the program of eternity, in his program of eternity that he designed, he meant the following. He meant that Christian salvation after the fall of man. And then he brought us forth the salvation of the grace. In that salvation of the grace, the following would have to happen. Whosoever chooses to partake of that salvation of the grace, he would have, number one, first of all, to accept it. To accept the salvation of the grace. Number two, that taking or beholding the salvation of the grace would be strictly based on God's terms. No other terms again. Strictly on his terms. Strictly based on God's terms, none else. No other. And this is where the problem is in the church. Because you see today the present-day Christian believers behaving as though God will understand. No, God gave a democratic space for you to do salvation on your terms and still end up in heaven. That is the delusion that the enemy has brought into the church. And the sooner you know that that is deployed, the lie of the devil, the better for your eternity now. He meant when he said that walk the narrow way, walk the narrow road, enter through the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. He essentially meant that the walk, which is the salvation of the Christ he brought us, the Lord's Christ, salvation of the grace, would have to be executed in our life strictly based on God's terms, period. 
But when you look at the liberalism, the liberal theology that is in Germany, that is in Europe, that is in the U.S., that is Canada, that is in Australia, oh, Singapore is big on it, Malaysia is big, South Korea is greater on it, Japan is really expanded on it, Australia, name it, the whole earth, South America. When you look at this type of salvation they are executing now, they are practicing at this hour, then you understand the form of liberalism, they have a democratic space where they appear to have negotiated unto themselves a certain dominion, a certain portion within salvation to execute it according to their terms, according to their will, according to the requirements of this world. It is liberalized. And yet, when the Lord pronounced forth and submitted the thesis on the doctrine of the narrow path, you see that the Lord spoke eloquently when he said that the salvation that Jehovah in heaven brought to the church on the earth, this salvation would have to be, number one, first of all, by faith. Number two, then accept it. Once you have faith and then you accept it. After accepting, it would have to be executed strictly based on God's terms. Not on the terms of men, on the terms of the world. So why then is today's church, the modern church, executing salvation in their own terms? On their own terms. And the same thing applies to the program of eternity. The Lord designed eternity in such a way that the eternity brought to man would have to be achieved, beheld, and earned strictly based on God's terms. The church has not understood this. That is the tragedy in the church, the calamity that befell. There you go, beloved people. That is the preamble I wanted to open up a little bit. So let me then take you, let me walk you a little bit now into the blueprint of the salvation that our Father in heaven used Jesus to deliver to the church, to humanity. How that blueprint of salvation of God Almighty delivered through Christ Jesus was all by design and intent and all purposes meant to achieve the Christianity of the narrow street, the Christianity of the narrow path, the Christianity of the narrow way, the Christianity of the narrow walk. First and foremost, can we look at the prophecy, beloved people? What is the prophecy that the Lord laid forth to begin designing forth, laying the foundation, laying the path of the Christian salvation that we so behold today. And I know that today many Christians all over the world are going to go into a moment of repentance that they may bring correction and reformation into their Christian salvation. The Christian salvation we receive was not meant to be a joke. The joke you see in the modern church today, the joke where anything and everything goes, where sometimes they play secular music, where sometimes the pastor, you know, is in sexual sin with a certain girl in the church, and his wife is crying and they separate and all that kind of stuff. The salvation the Lord brought us was a serious salvation where it involved the paying of the ultimate price by the King of Glory, the only one and only begotten Son of Heaven, Son of God, Christ Jesus the Messiah. It was not anything you see in Kenya here with your interfaith fellowship, where you see some pastors of the Pentecostal churches, evangelical mixed with Muslims and Hindus and what, and they agree, ah, oh, let all our gods be equal, let's talk in equal terms. You don't touch me, I don't touch you, so we are okay. It was never meant to be that. He said, there is only one way. When the Lord said that enter through the narrow gate and walk through the narrow road, that leads to eternal life. He essentially meant that only through Christ Jesus, the salvation we behold is found only in the person of the Christ. Eternal life can only be achieved in the person of Christ the Messiah. 
There's no other way. How powerful today an awakening, beloved people. The book of Isaiah, chapter 7, let us look at the blueprint of Christian salvation, and then from there you can derive then this command of the narrow way. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, beloved people. Isaiah 7, 14. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Very powerful, beloved people. The first scriptures that began to sketch forth, to draw forth the roadmap for Christian salvation. When God Almighty in heaven had already come up with a plan of redemption for the fallen man, then as usual, he first speaks with his prophet. So he spoke and revealed it beforehand to the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, by the leading of the Spirit of the Lord, then writes it here. He says, this is how it will come. It will come in the virgin birth of the Messiah, so that he can be brought into the scene, and in that place he can then deliver those people, so that he can now be incarnated, and in that condition now deliver men, and cause them to follow him now, be their leader then. So he revealed it as it is, as is the requirement to his prophet first. And Matthew chapter 1, beloved people, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. Matthew chapter 1, 22 to 23. This is what he says. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see now the fulfillment of the first facet, the first landmark of the blueprint, how the Lord designed the blueprint for the salvation of men. So you can see then the humble entry the humility of the messenger of that covenant, the messenger of that salvation, and then he speaks so much volume unto the salvation, it delivers unto the church and commands them to pursue. Where God the Son comes down and becomes like a worm, becomes like one of them, that level of humility in order to wear the human being and then now bring deliverance to them. God living with us. The same Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 still in completing and fulfilling that prophecy on the blueprint of Christian salvation, beloved people. Then you hear him saying, verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. How beautiful. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A very powerful scripture within God's blueprint for Christian salvation. And all these facets, all these important landmarks on the blueprint of Christian salvation, they all point mankind, humanity, and the church to the narrow path, the narrow walk. Look at how they came all the way. The Magi came all the way, and when they met him, they gave him gifts. They bowed and worshipped him, and they gave the gifts that greatly bespeak, point up towards the salvation of the narrow way. Number one, he says, that they gave the gifts, the treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
We are all familiar that gold, one of the prophecies I gave 12 years ago, one the biggest prophecy of all time has been fulfilled. August 17th, the year 2017. And I went all over the world giving this prophecy. In Nyahururu, Kenya, 2005. Naivasha, Kenya, 2005. January 23rd, 2008, Mumbai, the largest pastor's conference in all Asia, in the biggest hall in Asia, in Mumbai, also the church in New Mumbai, and continued speaking about this in Mumbai, in the churches there, the same prophecy, 2005. 2006, 2007, 2008, until it became fulfilled recently, beloved people. The collision of the two neutron stars above the Earth in a distance that mankind will never, ever reach. How powerful, how mighty, how dreadful, how fearful, how tremendous, how historic, how profound, how heavenly, how glorious. And in that prophecy, when I talked about the debris that would be spewed, and now you see that that collision of the two neutron stars emitted debris equivalent to 16,000 times the Earth. And out of that, you hear the astronomers, astrophysicists, and the scientists, the space scientists, revealing that out of that, more than 10 Earths, the size of debris of more than 10 Earths, contained only purified gold and platinum. Uranium is in the other debris. And they say the fire and explosion that came forth, was emitted forth from that collision of the two neutron stars, the amount of fire and explosion, fire, heat, that was emitted, measured through the gamma ray emission, the blast of gamma rays. They said just one exposure, one flash, one second worth of a flash of the gamma rays that came out of there was equivalent to the amount of heat that our sun emits in one trillion years. And we know that the heat that the Earth receives from the sun is just a mere fraction of what the sun emits to all the planets around it. And it's not even exemplary. It's not equivalent to the amount of heat in the dead core, the dead center of the sun. So you can imagine the gold that was purified from the collision of the two neutron stars, how much trillion carat it is, the level of purity. And so many times the Lord has used gold to bespeak the purity of deity, the purity of the deity of God. Purity. It essentially denotes purity. The purification with fire. That's why many times when Christian believers are walking the narrow way and they meet certain things the Lord has put on that way to purify them, there is a saying that you are passing through fire, meaning you are being purified. So gold, as the Magi presented gold, before the Lord Jesus at Bethlehem in that manger, it greatly bespoke the salvation he brings. They were essentially saying, you are the Messiah. You are the Lord Christ. You behold the salvation of sanctification, the salvation of purity, the salvation of the purification of mankind. You come to purify man. You purify the gold. The salvation in them, as pure as the gold, passed through fire. It bespoke, that gold bespoke the purity of the Messiah without any speck of sin. Totally sin, fully purified, one billion, one trillion percent purity without sin. And that the salvation he brings to would be a salvation of purity a separated salvation thereof that is only achievable on the narrow path. So the gold itself was essentially pointing at the salvation it brings, which was pointing us to the narrow path. 
Because only through the narrow path of separation from impurities of gold can we achieve the kind of sanctity and purity of the salvation the Messiah was delivering on that day, on that cross. That you are the Lord Christ, you are the Messiah, and when you go to the cross, you will be purified by fire, and this gold bespeaks the purity of the deity of God, and also the purity of the salvation that you bring mankind, that they that will be purified after submission, like this gold, they too will see the eternal kingdom of purity, of gold, the streets of gold, of the new Jerusalem, of your God. How powerful, beloved people. Right within the blueprint of the Christian salvation that he brought, that our Father in heaven designed, you can already see the narrow path being pronounced, being announced, being highlighted, beloved people. How about the light, the light that the Lord deliberately bespoke within the blueprint of the Christian salvation that he designed for humanity? Can we look at the same Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2? Isaiah chapter 9, beloved people, verse 2. The light. The light that he talked about, that the salvation of the grace would deliver to humanity. I'm reading Isaiah chapter 9, beloved people, verses 1 on. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress in the past. I could read four versions for ease. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galil of the nations, of the Gentiles, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness, people living in the valley of the shadow of death, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death, in other words, a valley where there is death, and death has stood between them and the light of God, so now they are cast, the shadow of death, Death is between them and their God, so the light of God coming is blocked, is actually intercepted by the death, so that the shadow of death that falls on them, he says again, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The people living in the valley of the shadow of death, those living in the deep darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is very powerful, beloved people, because this was the original blueprint that the Lord used to design forth the Christian salvation we so behold today. That the salvation that the Messiah would deliver unto the earth, unto the nations, would be the salvation of the light of God. And you can see when he did put now this landmark into that constitution, into that uh, blueprint, then you see he reveals to his prophet first. So he may go and announce to the heavenly angels and announce to the nations too, and put it down. And then Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, beloved people, Matthew chapter 4, 14 to 16. Matthew chapter 4, 14 to 16. Let us see the fulfillment of of that prophecy that the Lord deliberately brought forth to underscore a landmark within the blueprint, the constitution, the blueprint of the salvation he brought us, and how that also bespeaks the narrow path, the narrow walk, walk in the narrow streets. Matthew chapter 4, 14, he says, 14 to 16, 
I could start from 13. He says, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in the valley of the shadow of death, the people living in darkness, a great light, have seen a great light. For those living in the land of the shadow of death, light has dawned. This is powerful, beloved people, because you see, the Lord intended that when the Messiah come, he would come as the light of the dark world. One in John chapter 8, verse 12, when he says, I am the light of the world. And of course, in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 13 on, he says, you are the light of the world. He brings it to the church now. But he is the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Again, in the original blueprint, the way the Lord designed Christian salvation, and then he sent the messenger of the grace, the Lord Christ, he intended that Christ Jesus be the light of this dark world. We saw the prophecy spoken by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Once the Lord designed it, he revealed it to his prophet Isaiah so he may announce it, pronounce it to the nation. And we saw so beautifully Matthew chapter 4, 14 to 16, how when the Lord now, Jesus, comes into the scene, that prophecy is beautifully fulfilled. When he is caused, the words of the prophet Isaiah command him, because they instructed his ministry, they now command him to move from Nazareth. He brings hostility there, that he may shift position and move from Nazareth and come to the Galilee of the Gentiles, and then begin to execute his public ministry by the Sea of Galilee, that he may fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah. And we see how in John chapter 8, 12, he really now speaks it out in the fulfillment of that. Why? That the people living in darkness, that is the grafting in of the Gentile church, that they too, plus the Jewish church, that they too, the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, would now see a great light. That the Christ, that Simeon, in the book of Luke chapter 2, when he waited, he awaited the Messiah to be brought to the temple, he said, the light to the Gentiles. When that light now appears into the sin, he brings light to the dark world. You can imagine for yourself a world without Christ Jesus, the Messiah. How dark then? How dark would this world be without Christ the Messiah? And that prophecy is beautifully fulfilled when he says clearly here that I am the light of the world. But in the process he says, and those that follow him, follow me, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now we know too well that this light is the light of God. This light is the light of holy Christian salvation. We know that this light is the righteousness of the church. This light is the one that glows from the church and appears as the bright, bright, fine linen, bright and clean that now gives light to the dark world. And that linen is righteousness. That the church can never emit this light except they be holy, they be righteous. We know that the Holy Spirit came unto the sin to facilitate the church to pursue a righteous lifestyle, a holy life, by revealing the holy Jesus more and more, the holy and righteous Jesus more.
more and more to the church that they may pursue a holy and righteous Christian salvation and hence emit that light to the dark world, the perishing world. And we know that that light can only be achievable when the church observes a separated Christian life through the walking of the narrow path. Right within the blueprint already, you see that everything on the design that the Father gave on Christian salvation, the salvation of mankind, pointed us, pointed the church to walking the narrow way. I don't know in Australia what kind of Christian salvation you walk. I don't know in Spain what kind of Christian salvation you walk in Barcelona. You walk in El Salvador. You walk in Brazil. You walk in Panama. You walk in Ecuador. You walk in Atlanta, Georgia with your churches there. I do not know the kind of Christian salvation you walk whereby the darkness of the world has entered into the inner chambers of the house of the Lord. That is not the salvation he brought. Now you can see for yourselves, beloved people, that the blueprint by design was meant to point the present-day believer to walking a separated life by pursuing and going through the salvation of the narrow path, the narrow road. How beautiful. Isaiah 42, verses 6 to 7, they underscore the same, the same light. And we don't have so much time because the whole presentation is so big ahead of me here on the narrow path, revealing a lot more things on the narrow path, the challenges on the path. But I thought it would be important for the present-day church, where they did not get it right, that they may refresh their memories for those who got it and forgot, or that they may catch it now before it is late, that they may understand that the Christian salvation we took from Calvary, it actually, by design, pointed everything. The deliverer himself, the Messiah, and his followers, the church, to the narrow path. No wonder Jesus, the Messiah, on earth here, in showing us the road, he walked the narrow path, the narrow way, the narrow road. So what is this broad way I'm seeing the church in the U.S., the church in Europe, the church in Australia, where abortions are procured and it's all right, homosexuals are pastors, the women are walking with tight miniskirts, showing their bodies for men to laugh at them. Men are also laughing at men. Men are laughing at women. Men are frying their hair, putting nosings rings on their nose and ears. They are doing the world in the church. What is this broad way I see the Christian believer walking today? Who is it that designed that way for you? And in the final analysis in my submission today, you'll hear me say the following. You'll hear me say that either the church will walk the command, the narrow way, the salvation that the Messiah brought, that pointed us, commanded us, instructed us to walk the narrow salvation, the salvation of the narrow road, or you walk the broad road, which means in that road you have designed unto yourself your own religion, your own faith, and your own God, and so you are worshipping another God, your own God there, while the true God, the true salvation of the Christ, the Messiah, is on the narrow path. The other one is another God being worshipped today. That's why when you tune on the American Christian Universal or Global TV, whatever the name, then you see them worshipping another God, doing another religion, having another faith, another Christian salvation, another doctrine, another gospel, while the gospel of the Messiah was strictly commanded and restricted and confined onto the narrow path. I will continue with the blueprint of Christian salvation dictated and commanded by our God in heaven and how it pointed us to the narrow way and then back to the mainstream, which is the walking of the narrow path. 
What does it entail? Shalom.